Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Ta'anid, daf Chet, page eight. So I want to talk about something that appears right at the beginning of the daf. It actually starts on the previous daf, right at the bottom of Zion Amudbet. Um, and it shares with us a teaching of Reish Lakish that's based on some of the psukim uh, that appeared beforehand on Zion Amudbet. Reish Lakish, Amar, Reish Lakish says, Imra Ita Talmid, if you see a student, Shalom Do Kabarzel, whose studies are hard to him like iron. It is because his knowledge of Mishnah is not arranged in his head. In other words, what it's saying is, is that uh, you know, that the sort of the basic laws, whether it's referring to Mishnah as we understand it, but it's really sort of talking about sort of like the basic halakha itself, right? That's what Mishnah is, or so it's sort of that type of Mishnahic text needs to be organized in his head. And where does he know this from? Shanat Mar, and here he quotes a pasuk from uh, the pasuk in Kohela from chapter 10, verse 10. Buhu lo panim kilkel, right? And one who does not understand, he has distorted, distorted what comes first. So in other words, what this is saying is, is that if he doesn't understand Mishnah, which comes before the, you know, sort of the Gemara piece afterwards, Right, he's not going to understand. My taknete, right? So, what's his remedy? Yarbebi yeshiva. He should spend more time in the yeshiva. Shenemar, and here they quote a, another pasuk, um, right, where it says Sorry, it's the rest of that pasuk. He should be fortified by legions. In other words, he should be fortified by his students, right? And then it says Vayitron hechsher chachma. But the advantage of wisdom is greater. And so then he says, Let's say his understanding of Mishnah, right, of the, the early law, the first law that you need to know, right, if, it, if it's not, a, you know, if it, if it is, uh, if it gets a range from him, uh, in the first place, and so then the Gemara goes on to say, this was the case of Reish Lakish. He would review his Mishnah. He would review this 40 times, which corresponded to the 40 days during which the Torah was, you know, transmitted, right? That uh, Moshe took Moshe to receive the Torah. And only then would he come to Rabbi Yochanan to learn with him. He would review uh, his, you know, Mishnah text 24 times, Kenegat Torah Nevi'im Ketuvim, according to the 24 books uh, of the Torah, Va'yil to Rabbah, and then he would appear, appear before Rabbah. So a very, very nice passage that I think, if you take it literally, that it actually means Mishnah itself, whether it does or, you know, is it really reflecting on Mishnah as we understand it? Some commentators say yes, some say no, but um, it's clearly talking about sort of early halachic text, but the one thing I did like about that is, is that I actually feel like Mishnah is not studied well today. And I think this text is telling us, no, you really need to understand Mishnah. And I think that's really true for our study of Gemara, that unless you really understand Mishnah, sometimes the Gemara itself is actually very challenging. But I also wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk about Reish Lakish a little bit. And Reish Lakish is actually, his son is going to appear, uh, appear on tomorrow's daf, on daf Tet. So maybe we'll mention that a little bit more also. This is probably not the most famous Gemara about Reish Lakish, uh, but what's interesting here is, is that it specifically mentions that this was the review that he would do for 40 days before he would go 
to learn with Rabbi Yochanan. And Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish are a very famous sort of uh, Amoraic uh, pair. Um, and so the famous story about him, which we'll get to later on, is that actually he was a robber. He was a bandit of some sort. And, um, you know, the famous story is, is that uh, he was basically going to, uh, uh, you know, he saw Rabbi Yochanan. Well, we'll get to this Gemara eventually. <laughs> um, but he basically saw Rabbi Yochanan bathing in the Jordan in the Yardane. And he thought he was a woman. And um, he sort of basically went into the water to accost Rabbi Yochanan, who he thought he was a woman. Um, and basically, he and Rabbi Yochanan get into a conversation. And Rabbi Yochanan promises Reish Lakish his sister in marriage if Reish Lakish would basically go and study in a yeshiva with him. And so this is a uh, this is a very famous Gemara that we'll get to uh, that's in Baba Metziah. Um, and then basically they become uh, chavrutas together. So he basically go and he learns and they become chavrutas together. Uh, the other piece of his story that we'll get referred to is that at the end, Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish had some sort of uh, disagreement and uh, Reish Lakish eventually um, he dies. So all this will be a Gemara in Baba Metziah, but this story is going to be referred to uh, on, on Daf Tet. So I'm not going to say how that story is referred to, but I'll <laughs> leave that as a clue and see if people can find it in the reading about the story of Reish Lakish's son. So we're going to see a story tomorrow about Reish Lakish's son and an encounter that the son has with Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yochanan and his mother, who's Rabbi Yochanan's sister. So look for the clue there. But I just thought this was a good opportunity for us to do a little bit of a who's who's on Reish Lakish, particularly because it mentions his, you know, learning with Rabbi Yochanan. And I think here the point is, is that he was somebody who had to review this carefully because he came to learning later. He was not brought up in a Torah home and, you know, he came to it later. So therefore he sort of didn't have the same foundation. And that's why the review piece of the Mishnah was actually very important for him so that he could be properly prepared when he went to go learn with Rabbi Yochanan. You know, there's so many people represented in the Talmud who we don't know very much about at all. And then there's some people where there's so much information that we can't even deal with it all in one day. Um, and Rachel Lakish is, of course, one of the latter. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a piece on now on Amadet. Um, we've got a discussion. In the, it says, in the days of Bimei Reb Shmuel Bar Nachmani. In the days of Reb Shmuel Bar Nachmani, and we're going to hear what he has to say. Right. So what happened in those days? Havakafna umotana. There's a famine and there's also a plague. If you didn't think it was bad enough as it is, right? Meaning now we all have a better understanding just how bad any one of these things could be. We don't really want any, we don't want any of them, and we certainly don't want two at a time. Amri. So the sages then said, "Well, you know, hechina avid. What should we do? What should we do?" And now they're not talking about you know um, tilling the earth, right? They're talking about what are they going to pray for? Are we going to ask God's rachamim? Are we going to ask for, for his mercy on two different things? Meaning the implication is that's that's too much, right? Low Fshar. The Gemara says that's not possible. Meaning it seems that it's, you know, rude or something like that. To to turn to God to ask him to cure or heal two different things at once. Another good reason to not want two of them at once. Ella libai amotana bakafna nisbul. So what did they decide? They said, let's pray, and I think we can all relate to this. It's really a little bit too close to comfort, this Gemara. 
um, they said, we're going to pray for the mercy, for God's mercy with regard to the plague. And for the famine, we will tough it out. So Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani says, instead, he says, no, no, no. You know, we're gonna instead we're gonna pray for the mercy for the famine because when God provides, when He provides, He provides plenty, and then what is He doing? He brings it always for the sake of the living. This verse is, of course, very, very famous from Ashrei, right? That God open you says you open your hand and satisfy every living thing, and then the point is, of course, that. Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani is being very clever, right? If we ask for God's mercy for the rat, for the famine, and he's going to only be able to save those people who are living, you know, he's going to fundamentally knock out the effects of the plague as well. Um, so that, that I think is, you know, on the one hand, it's very clever. Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani in general has a lot of these kind of sharp interpretive insights. Um, the Gemara goes on. And says, How do you, where do you get this idea that we're not going to pray for two things, two things at the same time? Meaning, why ever not? Why can't you pay, pray for a thousand things at the same time? The Gemara doesn't ask that. I'm asking that. And the verse to support the idea that you could indeed pray for two things at the same time. It says it's a verse from the book of Ezra which is not the most common book to get verses for this kind of thing, but it says we fasted and we pleaded with God for this. Meaning there's two different things that they're doing. They're fasting and they're pleading. Right? From the fact that the the Pasuk says, alzot, alzot meaning for this, you can, you can infer from that that there's another thing that they didn't pray about because they said they're praying for this. So then they didn't like, you wouldn't have to say it. You would just say, well, we're praying, but since we're praying for this. It implies that they didn't pray for something else. It, it implies that there's another thing. And then in the West, and the West means in the land of Israel, meaning when everything else is taking place in Babylonia, Marava, the West refers to Israel. And they would say there in the name of Rav Chagai, what do they say? Mehacha It says we've got a verse here from Daniel from the book of Daniel, which is indeed in Aramaic, but it's in I don't know, it's in Daniel Aramaic, which is a little bit different from Gemara Aramaic. What does it say? That they will ask Rachmim, they'll ask mercy of God in the heavens concerning this secret. Razadna. And again, the fact that it says this one gives you the implication that there's another one. There's some other trouble that they didn't actually pray about. So it's really kind of a, you know, delve in and use your logic, your powers of inference to get to the idea that you can't dive in for two different things, which I would say actually kind of stands in opposition to the idea that you can't dive in for two different things because, because you shouldn't, if it's that important of a thing that you're not allowed to pray for something, right? It shouldn't, it doesn't, Either they already knew it and they're looking for textual support, that always can be, but or there's something else going on here because it doesn't make sense to say that they worked so hard to get to this to get this to this conclusion. But in any case, that's my open question on this passage. Like Maya goes on, that was all remember, that was all in the days of Rev Shmuel Bar Nachmani. So now we've got the days of Rebbe Zera. 
There was a time of, we call it a shmad. There was a time of religious persecution. There were decrees against Jewish practice. And one of the decrees was that they weren't allowed to fast. The Jews were not allowed to fast during this time. Rabbi Zera says to the people, let's fast. Right, let's fast. We're not allowed to fast, but let's make sure that we decree. We have a fast upon ourselves. And the point is that we'll hold that fast until after the Shmad, until the decree of the religious persecution is canceled out. When they cancel the Shmad, then we'll sit down and fast. Right? Meaning we'll we'll call the fast now and we'll have an IOU. So the people say to him, how do you know this? that you can take on a fast in advance, right, of something that you can't yet observe. So this is another verse from Daniel, from the book of Daniel. It's a different chapter. This is chapter 10. The other verse was chapter 2, where Rabbi Zayr explains, the verse says, um, God says, right, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to fast, right, that's the key part, and to fast before Hashem, your words were heard. Meaning, the moment you turn your heart to fast, your prayers are going to be heard. But what that means is you're not yet fasting. You're only just turning your heart to fast. It's a very, um, again, very careful, subtle distinction. Um, So all of this, I think, is... You know, it's interesting, Agatha, I think, in the as a sidebar, and I think it still leaves a fair bit to unpack. Like, I'd like to know a bit more about these historical eras, both in the days of Rabbi Zera and the days of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani. And, you know, this is really their daily lives. You know, it makes it into the Gemara in the halachic discussion of how many bad things can you pray for mercy from. Okay, so it's not entirely Agatha, but it's still, um, you know, it's it's, again, it's set apart from the rest of this discussion, the rest of the discussion on the daf, right? We're not, and the Masachet in general, we're not talking about rain at this time. We are t- talking about pleading with God. In that way, it's thematically very connected to the rest of the Masachet. Look, I think a lot of what this Masachet is dealing with is how do we, sort of like, what's the purpose of prayer? You know, Brachot was more, yes, Brachot got into some, deeper things about why we pray, but, you know, it was a lot of the halachot about like, you know, practical things about prayer or parts of prayer. There's something like much more spiritual happening. I, I haven't learned Tanit in a long time and I sort of forgot how spiritual of a masachet it is. And it has a very different tone than brachot does. I agree with you. It has a very different tone than brachot. I, I don't relate to it as spiritual in that way, although maybe by the time we finish I, learning I together, I will. the right word. I, 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 <coughs> maybe it's more metaphysical. I don't know. There, it's... So to, to me, and this is, I think is very interesting, and I, I feel like we should reconvene about this come the end of the Masachet. To me, it's very practical. And as opposed to metaphysical, as opposed to spiritual, there is need. There is real need. And the question of how do you pray and what do you pray for? And the idea that they're going to limit prayer in a time of need because, oh my goodness, there's also a plague and also uh, a famine, right? It feels like 
It's almost outrageous. And yet this is the discussion, you know, when things go wrong for people, that's what I mean by practical, right? What can you do? And then, yes, it's turning to spirituality. It's turning to God as opposed to, um, as I said before, tilling the fields. It's, it is a, a spiritual solution, prayer. But, um, but I, I relate to it as practice, like tachlis, what are we going to do? It's interesting that you're using the word practical. I have to think about that. Um, I think this still reflects our different personalities. <laughs> they may well be. I'm curious if the if the people learning with us feel the same way. Um, okay. And we have we have more to go. Well, well, you know, yeah, I may our, come. I may come to see your side. You know, you may come to see mine. That's how it goes. Yeah, we're still at the. Be- I mean, well, we're almost a third of the way done here, but. No, I think we're still sort of trying to feel out what this Masachet is exactly about. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff in our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.